Hello ladies and gentlemen and welcome to Daily Brain Bleed. My name Jeff. Jeff, I have to commend you. That is the best Russian accent I've ever heard an American do. Like that's perfect. Thank you. It's, I spend long time. You you saw all the documentary footage about Russia you needed to see, which was Marvel's Black Widow. And that being the most perfect cultural replication of Russia, you didn't need to know anything else. I study exclusively with Dave Harbour. (laughs) May explain gaps in my understanding of phenoms. Dave Harbour actually does okay. It's really, it's fine. It's It's serviceable. It's just, okay, guys, we're talking about Black Widow and we'll, we'll kind of like, we'll do more proper like we'll do more prop work <laughs> yeah we'll do a more proper explanation of everything uh a little on but now that we're on the topic i have to say the guy who's the big bad in this is ray winstone who's like british or whatever his russian accent is so bad it's it's not great so bad it's like for the first solid minute of his dialogue i was thinking like is he even trying to do an accent? Because I definitely he just, just kind of sounded like a vague description of a mob boss, yeah, something like that. Like, uh, no, it was um, <laughs> his character in general as the leader of the Red Room is really cool, though. I like that figure. Well, okay, let's 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 back up a bit. Um, let's go forward. Let's talk about the sequel to Black Widow. <laughs> let's talk about um. Well, we couldn't do a Black Widow sequel, at least not a, uh, it not at least not a uh, Natasha Natasha Rama, yeah uh, film. But yeah, so this past uh, we, we a few days ago we saw um, Black Widow as God intended in a theater in a theater like yeah. a red blooded vaccinated American. We might very well have um, had this conversation before, but I think it's relevant again because now we can say we've seen a film recently. What well, before Black Widow? What was the last movie you'd seen in theaters? Um, I went several weeks ago, several, several weeks oh. ago with this, this wasn't like my re-inauguration. I'm sorry. I don't, I hope oh. you don't feel cheated. I feel like, you know, oh, we didn't lose our virginity together. <laughs> I lied. Oh, I did, definitely you, lied you to get you in there. You didn't, you didn't, you didn't wait for marriage. What? <laughs> what? No. Um, but no, I honestly, the last thing that I saw in theaters wasn't really worth seeing in theaters. I can't even remember the the film uh, um i don't even remember the guy he was just <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the sexual parallels here are so unnecessary oh shit oh um, lord so i saw there's probably another good reason why it's not well it's a good idea to keep the two episodes separate but maybe then, a little bit uh yeah no um so i saw um back in like january of 2020 i saw 1917 um, which I thought yeah. was a pretty good movie. Um, on its own terms, I think it was actually really good. I but it quickly became eclipsed in the zeitgeist by people who were rooting for um, uh, Parasite to beat it at the Oscars. And sure. honestly, fair because Parasite was the better movie. But 1917 was probably the better movie to see in theaters. God, I wish that like the timing of this podcast. Well, I mean, I guess it doesn't really matter. We talked about Stranger Than Fiction for a whole ep- episode. I would love to do a Parasite episode. Oh yeah, just because it's such a freaking good movie. It'll give me an excuse to watch it again. Yeah. Um, I think so. I I saw Parasite in theaters, oh, and then okay. I saw um. 
I'm trying to think of the the last thing that I saw in theaters like pre-COVID. I'm pretty sure it was us. I was in grad school, mm. so I the, the number of times I like drove to a movie theater was so freaking low. Mm. I'm pretty sure it was us. Yeah, no, actually, when I did my stint in grad school, I did uh, I saw films fairly frequently because I was having like a really bad time of actually like making friends with people. So I'm like, sure. Oh, I don't, it's a weekend. I don't really have anything to do. I guess I'll just hit up a restaurant and go see a movie, which, you know, is kind of a lot of money up front, but actually way less than I'd be spending in bars and everything. And if you're in grad school with me somehow and you're listening to this podcast, nothing against you, just, you know. Everything against you. You (laughs) suck so wicked hard that he would rather spend time with himself. Yes. Uh, (laughs) So, Black Widow. Um... Yeah, no, I mean, okay, so walking out of the theater, I feel like my my takeaway was, not that yours was negative, but I feel like mine was slightly more positive, just in that, like, I, I feel like it was one of the Marvel products that I've consumed recently that, like, I actually just kind of face level enjoyed a lot more. I didn't have to, like, think about why I enjoyed it or justify it to myself. It was just kind of like, yeah, that was solid. Well, it's weird because it's like, on one level... This is the longest gap we've had between two theatrical Marvel Cinematic Universe installments in like over a decade now. And the longest gap that we will have in another decade, surely. Probably. Knock on the... Okay. And um, so on one level, it was forever since um, Spider-Man Far From Home came out. But on the other end, I think that a little bit of the specialness was taken away just in the sense that... um, uh, for the past couple months now, we've had these Marvel shows coming almost exactly weekly on Disney Plus. So that's kind of that kind of kept people sated, you know, on some level. So, but that's just like that's the problem with talking about Black Widow and by extension any of these Marvel movies, especially when you have to critically analyze it. It's like, do we talk about it as a single product and this is it and we're just talking about Black Widow as Black Widow or are we going to talk about it like an ep- essentially an episode in a very long running television show at this point because uh, both lend I think to slightly different reactions and like for the longest time the conventional wisdom and I think when you were talking about you know any movie critically was Let's just forget everything else. We're talking about the movie. How did you feel about the movie? But so much of the Marvel Cinematic Universe is based on all this interconnected stuff that these connections get forced into your mind. And I think the movie is a little bit stronger if you think about it as a movie. But if you think about it as an installment in this gigantic franchise, it's a little bit weaker. That's my and so, and so that's where someone like me comes in. And this is, this is why it's good. It's a little bit of a strange bird duo. I literally forgot <laughs> that Natasha Romanoff was dead. <laughs> Straight up slipped my mind. Um, full disclosure, I haven't like watched Endgame in like however long since it was in theaters and have not thought about it a day in my life since, mm-hmm. really. Like I saw it and I was like, oh, that's sad. Oh, it's good. Oh, there's so much stuff happening. And then like, promptly forgot all of the major narrative plot points besides Iron Man's death. Um, And so like, you know, for me just watching it in the way that you were describing uh, 
first, which was just as a movie by itself, I was like, oh, yeah, this works. This works real good, and I enjoy it. And so, like, for me, I feel like anymore as Marvel continues to do the thing, and we've talked about this a little bit in the, like, in discussion of the TV shows, but you, you have their appeal to people who just consume the media and then their appeal to people who are like, uh, way too fucking into it right. um, <laughs> to, to, to not, um, you know, that's, that's my bias. Obviously I think that, you know, it's entirely and valid if people are like familiar with the comics and you know, everything like that. But actually there are three levels. Now there are people who are just complete casuals. They maybe, maybe don't see the, uh, Marvel movies and theaters, and you got to appeal to them just as a strict pop popcorn flick. You have the people who are actually pretty into the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but that's largely the extent of their Marvel knowledge. And then you have the comic book fans, who I think, for reasons we'll get into uh, further into this, actually had the most uh, negative reaction to uh this film to the extent that I've been like following the reactions on social media. But um, so the plot of the film is it's set just after for all the canon nerds out there. It's set just after um, Captain America civil war when yeah. the Avengers is broken up and everything. And um, black widow, it, that is Natasha Romanoff. She's on the run. Uh, really? She's on the, the lamb. <laughs> and, um, but then it turns out that the um, representatives of her prior life, when she was a Black Widow assassin, the Red Room, they've uh, put out a hit on her, basically, because... And a lot of the early plot is a little bit convoluted, just in the sense that the editing of the movie is a little bit choppy, and like plot points that could have like breathed a bit more are... Don't... But see, the thing is... Natasha Romanoff, we now know, um, grew up much of her early life in the United States, in Ohio, in hiding. And she had this girl who's with her, who is her surrogate little sister, Yelena. And Yelena has now grown up to be Florence Pugh of Hereditary. And Which don't no, we all fuck, wish fuck, to... Fuck. <laughs> I meant Midsummer. <laughs> ah, okay. No, Midsummer. She's the blonde in Midsummer. Entirely she's in understandable. Little Women. She's in all that stuff. And I've learned now that she actually has quite a well cultivated stan following on like Twitter. So if we say anything remotely negative about her, our menchies are going to be unusable. For... Which, thankfully, there's not a lot of heavy lying criticism to be found here about her performance here. I think, At least I don't think. Between her and Dave Harbour, I think they the two of them... Uh, they they kind of hard carry a lot of they, stuff. They did it, and I won't accuse Scarlett Johansson of just showing up for the paycheck, but... She just showed up for the paycheck. I mean, here's my, here's my thing, though. Here's my thing, though. Like, I can think of one, maybe two moments in the entire MCU where Black Widow has actually made me feel something at all. Mm-hmm. And so, like, you know, realistically, that's kind of just what I expected. Like, I didn't think that this was really going to be a, a narrative carried by mm. the acting performance of Scarlett Johansson. We, we, can, um, we can cut my earlier bit about um, Ray Winstone's accent if you think that's too much. But this is a controversial take that I actually want to stand by, which is that I think so much of the fandom for Black Widow as a Marvel Cinematic Universe character and so much of the desire to see her get a solo movie 
um, in the early years of the franchise when the fandom was developing, it was mostly, I think, people wanting there to be a Marvel film centered on a woman. And because Black Widow was the first prominent female superhero in superheroine in these films, that's who they latched onto. And to be clear, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I'm absolutely forcing representation of all these different characters. It's just that, I don't know, if you have like a slightly more well-developed knowledge of the Marvel lore, there are a bunch of different characters, including like Captain Marvel, who they eventually actually got around to doing, who I think yeah. better lend themselves to a solo film and... My opinion on this matter is not changed now that a Black Widow film has been actually made because it's far more of an ensemble than um, at least, you know, as a film like centered on Natasha Romanoff. This is far more of an ensemble than a lot of the um, Marvel solo movies. And and something that I said a little bit just immediately post movie and that, you know, I, I will continue to stand by is that. I was hoping this was going to be an origin story and that we were going to spend a lot of time learning how she became an Avenger. Mm-hmm. Like I wanted to get into the shit that happened in Budapest, Budapest. <laughs> um, I wanted to like, you know, get, I wanted to spend more time with her in the black widow training program. They mentioned forced hysterectomies, which yes. is metal as fuck. And like, I just, I, I wanted a lot more of that like gritty Russian backstory because it's cool mm-hmm. but instead we spend like the vast majority of it like I don't know like halfway between worlds in a way right and so I feel like that's a missed opportunity just in terms of like the amount of cool stuff that you have to play with but we're going to spend time focusing on like I have daddy issues it, like for lack of a better term it, it literally is a movie that feels like it should have come out in 2016 2017 just by its spot in the timeline and it just sure there was one there was just a little bit more and um scarlett johansson's contract with marvel and they wanted to blow through that but uh look i have issues with it but that doesn't mean that there aren't good at again we actually have not really explained what the plot is but the the, all you need to know if you're listening to a film review podcast for a movie you've never seen you suck (laughs) all you need to know is that eventually uh uh, Natasha hooks up with Yelena and she hooks up with Dave Harbour, who is portraying uh, the old USSR's equivalent of Captain America, the Red Guardian, and he fucking slaps. He is the best thing about this movie. <laughs> he is so cool. I'm not even like a huge David Harbour. Not even that I, you know, not that I dislike him or anything. I think he's fine, but it's like in this movie, he brings it and he brings it well. Yeah, no, I'm I'm a big Dave Harbour fan. I've seen him in a bunch of stuff and I think he's great. I, I love what he's doing. Um, I, I felt that the humor in this movie, kind of the tongue in cheek way that a lot of things mm-hmm. happened, especially between his character and uh, Yolanda. Um, did I say that name? Yolanda. It's, it's Yelena, but that's fine. It's, <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of funny wait is is natasha romanoff dead wait hang on um <laughs> yelena like specifically just the amount of banter and humor that came from those two characters like could have hard carried the film uh-huh. like in a way that again i so i it have clearly gone on record absolutely skewering everything guardians of the galaxy because i hate how much there is no. and how inorganic i feel it is again at me it's fine but um, I, I felt like in this one, like I actually gave enough of a shit about everybody that when they made little quips, I was like, "Hey, okay, yeah. this is fine." The humor was more understated. Look, 
Yeah. Guardians of the Galaxy, the two movies, they might be my two favorite Marvel Cinematic Universe installments aside from Iron Man. But I will concede that a lot of the criticism of Marvel for their they don't they undercut some of their own material and the emotional weight and the stakes and everything by putting the tongue in the cheek a bit too much. I think you saw that, yes, with Thor Ragnarok, which I know a lot of people love. I think it's just fine. You saw that with um, Doctor Strange, actually, weirdly In a enough. weird way, like, yeah. It was like, you know, there... You know, there is a tendency in a lot of these Marvel movies, you have a serious moment and they need to feel the need to undercut it with like the jokey jokes that I don't, I'm not a huge fan of. And I like that in Black Widow, it was a bit more subdued. And in fact, honestly, a lot of the very beginning, the first 10, 15 minutes, had it not been for the fact that obviously the studio mandated some editing that ended up being a little choppy and like cut off I think character moments before they could have fully fleshed out the first 10-15 minutes actually felt like a fairly naturalistic kind of family drama with like yeah for sure that was like that was like a very refreshing change of pace and you obviously they didn't really sustain that um, throughout the rest of the movie but but still with that little hint of like in there right because like you see like the the little kid fall and the mom immediately the first thing she says is pain makes us stronger yes and you immediately know like even if you had no idea what was going on with the film that makes your eyebrows go up because you're just like, who says that to a four-year-old? Right, right. You know, or a five-year-old or however the hell old the kid was. Yeah. Then again, it's like, you know, if you're a Marvel fan, you're definitely going into the mo- this yeah, movie sure, knowing sure, sure, something's sure. up. And that's that's part, again, it's like, if we are to judge this as a film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I have to say, a lot of it just feels like a retread of Captain America, the Winter Soldier, yeah. just with, like, well, worse. <laughs> I mean, like, so the whole plot of Captain America, the Winter Soldier, the big revelation was that Hydra, the super terrorist organization, had infiltrated S.H.I.E.L.D. and was secretly over the decades orchestrating um, all of the horrible events, like creating geopolitical instability to advance their own interests. And their goal was yeah. to, like, eliminate free will and everything. And that's why... Were we just meant to... Wait, they were Calvinists? <laughs> were we just meant to forget all of this when they introduced a new organization, the Red Room, which separately was... Pulling all the strings? Supposed to be pulling and all that's the strings why and wanting to eliminate... I have a big issue with that as just like a thing where it's like, oh, there's this shadow organization that's doing everything. When you use that as a trope, it it's a trump card. You can never use something bigger than that until you move timelines or isolate something else. Because if you say, oh, well, there was actually another shadow organization, you're just playing Russian dolls, and right. nobody likes that. And if you say, oh, well, and then there was also this other thing, well, it's like, okay, well, then why didn't the shadow organization know about it and stop it? It just, you see what I mean? Like, it, mm. it kind of creates a very, very thin line for any form of narrative diversity. Right. And, um... I think the thing that, and, and when I say, okay, also, if if the Red Room is a worse Hydra, Taskmaster was a worse um, Bucky Barnes, Winter Soldier, in that, yeah. and, and again, this goes back to, like, the comic book fans have a problem with how the character was adapted for a lot of reasons. Like, if you actually, I'm going to f- pull this up. I'm going to pull up. Because I know you're not super familiar with the comic, which is fine. But if you look at 
Taskmaster Comics. Um, Which Taskmaster is a cool ass name, by the yeah, way. Yeah, Taskmaster is a cool ass name, and he he ha- his his mask is like a skull, and he has like that just badass kind of um, thing. And not only that, but he also is kind of like in a lot of ways an evil version of Deadpool in that he's quippy and everything, but in like a cool badass sort of eighties action movie way. And this is like in X-Men origins Wolverine or whatever, when they like, sewed Deadpool's mouth shut, it was just like, because look, I guess there are probably people who are upset that they changed the character from a man to a woman. But like putting that aside, I think they changed so much about the character to make, it wor- make the character worse like it it just was not a compelling um way to thread the needle yeah i mean one. like you know it, i think that the, the again if you don't look at the source material the design for the character is neat the link in with like you know uh well it's his it's his daughter who was you know killed in the bombing and stuff like that but again that just that made me even more horny for like well what the hell was going on in Budapest right like, we've spent so long and even in other previous Marvel films where Black Widow and Hawkeye will talk about you know oh yeah that time back in Budapest it's like if you do not stop edging me with Budapest <laughs> I'm gonna lose my shit okay <laughs> it's uh yes it's um. Like that's what so many people thought this movie was going to be. That was first announced. Was Budapest, and, yeah. um, and it and it wasn't. And where's Jeremy Renner? Is he dead? Well, they're doing a Hawkeye show and oh, like a Disney yeah, Plus yeah, yeah, yeah. show, and Haley Steinfeld is going Woo. to be the younger, um, the younger uh, iteration of Hawkeye that he like. You know, he she becomes like his apprentice, you know, Kate Bishop is well, because we're having to phase out Jeremy Renner before he turns yes. 90. That, like that's the whole deal. That's like how this was originally kind of a DC thing where they were, would set up legacy heroes, all the guys like Superboy and all those kinds of guys. And for the longest time, Marvel resisted doing this in the comics. They didn't want to like just have characters be retreads, but then especially relatively recently in the grand scheme of things, like the past couple decades, they decided, you know what? Screw it. We're just creating we're legacy. We're doing it. And, you know, that works, especially if you're having, like, a long-running franchise in film. It's like, yeah, you can retire Tony Stark. You can retire Steve Rogers. You can retire Natasha Romanoff. But if you have all these different iterations of the characters um, waiting in the wings, like Miles Morales for um, Spider-Man, probably the best example. But now we have Yelena is going to be the new Black Widow. We have... I think you mean Yolanda. We have uh, Ry Ry Williams, Riri Williams. I don't know if there's like it's just been said in the comics. Is going to be um, Iron Man. We have obviously now Anthony Mackie is Captain America, and that's how they're they're keeping the mantles yeah. alive while uh, retiring the characters. And my understanding is that um, Yelena is going to show up in this Hawkeye show to kind of try and merc uh, merc Jeremy Renner. You know, for oh yeah, for narrative because, purposes. Yeah, um, because like the post credit scene for this movie, and all Marvel movies have these now. Is they've always had, and uh, is that um the character from Julia Louis, Julia Louise Dreyfus from um uh the Falcon and the Winter Soldier when she recruited John Walker? Best thing about that show, which largely sure. was not that cool to me. Um, now she's recruiting the new Black Widow, and so fans are pretty certain that. 
Marvel setting up like either Thunderbolts or Dark Avengers, some kind of like new morally gray to dark version of uh, the the Avengers to uh, exist in the movies. And so now we have like an idea of who the two first characters and which it'll be neat to see if they actually have the cojones to pull that off in any meaningful way. Cause if you're going to do that, you got to do it. Right. And if, if they're going to like Disney half-ass the moral gray side of it, like, nah, I'm not into it, but I'm again, I say that just hoping that somehow I will speak the opposite into the world and then I will be rewarded with what I actually want. Um, Um, so black widow, Fun diversion, especially if you've not been to the movie, been to the movies in about a year, um, as an installment in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Look, it's it's aside from Yelena, it's not adding a lot. And I'm like, even at the beginning of this year, I was looking forward so much more to Shang Chi. I was looking so much more to the Eternals. Looking at so much more, even to like the new Venom, but like especially Spider Man. Uh, Spider-Man No Way Home, now that we are almost certain that um, they're going to fully bring in the multiverse elements and like you're going to have Tobey yeah. Maguire and Andrew Garfield. Oh, Lord, yes. With, yes, with yes, all yes. that stuff waiting for us, Black Widow just seems, it's a little too rote. By, not as much going on, not as much in the way of the interesting visuals and everything, and I'm just uh, I'm just ready to move forward, Marvel. I'm yeah, just ready to move forward. Whereas, you know, for, for my money, I think especially, like, the thing that really sold it for me was at the end, like the the really long form action sequence when the base is falling out of the sky, mm-hmm. and that just it it lasts for a long time. And the action in this film is actually pretty good, in my mm-hmm. opinion. I really liked it, but especially just that long scene at the end where you just have so much stuff happening and falling, and the way that they manage all of the different pieces. Um, you know, as as a one off film, it definitely it ticked a lot of boxes it, for me. There's a leaked clip going around on like Twitter of um it's the very specifically spoilers the scene where yelena is throwing down the bomb or whatever at the uh thing and then it explodes and she flies off Mm -hmm. and the special effects in the iteration on twitter look actually pretty bad but in like the as it was on screen it didn't look that bad at all it might be a thing where it's like because this movie was also released simultaneously on Disney Plus and their special premiere access, but yeah. fuck if I'm going to spend thirty dollars to see no. to see this. No, absolutely um, not. So, but so like maybe if like they maybe it looks worse on streaming. And um, I mean, I know. will say the the specific moment that you said and the minute you said it, I knew exactly where you were talking about. And it's because I did kind of look at it and think that's not what I thought that would look like. Right. Um. So I mean, even in the theatrical version, I th- I don't know, like that specific keyframe. Now that you said it, it's just kind of like. Eh. I do think it was funny that um they spend the whole movie they're looking for the red room, and then they're finally ascending in the the sky. They're gonna find the base in the sky. It's like it's made very clear that oh they finally found the place that they're looking for the red room. The whole goal of this movie, and then when they finally have a shot of the big flying base. They have to like put in the caption on the bottom just in case you missed it. Red room. Red room is like, how low of an opinion do you have of your audience? Like, we we got it. We got it. Like, I mean, I understood that it was consistent with like every time we've done a big location change, we had the big subtext, but it was entirely unnecessary at yeah. this juncture. And there was such a long gap between the last time it happened and this time. Mm-hmm. It was. It. I agree. It was pretty mm-hmm. unnecessary. 
Because um, you actually, you chuckled <laughs> when it <laughs> happened in the movie. Yeah. You were just like, it, nah, shit. If you're going to do that, like, change around the, the, the dialogue beforehand, because it just felt a little heavy-handed. That's just my, like, yeah. the way that it happened was a little weird, but whatever. Um, Yeah, Black Widow. Did you want to spend five minutes talking about um, season three of The Center or... Yeah, no, we can we can just kind of we can we can swap some stuff on just, you know, kind of generically some of the stuff going on there. Yeah, here. Look, um, just before we go, I wanted to because we've made the center such a big recurring theme in our podcast. I wanted to note that I've seen a few episodes of the third season now and just give my general impressions going into this. Um, I am going to refuse to explain the plot to anyone who's new just i'm going to assume everyone has some basic level of understanding of the series at this point because this is just me and jeff now jeff (laughs) um hey listeners get out of the room jeff you know what i think would have made the show the third season a little bit better had they they norbited it yes with bill pullman playing every role honestly maybe but (laughs) as far as casting choices go I like both Matt Bomer and Chris Messina, the two new guys, Mm -hmm. and I think they do fine by their roles. I think that might have worked a little bit better had they switched roles, right? Because, like, Chris Messina has kind of... creepy. But he also, if you like, if you've seen him in other stuff, like Sharp Objects or even, like, the Mini Project or whatever, he has kind of a put-upon everyman vibe where you could, like, easily imagine him being in the position of... Like, he's emotionally unstable, sure, but also he's juggling work and family life and whatever, and now he is this thing coming into his life. Whereas Matt Vomer is an objectively very attractive human being, but almost so much so that there's, like, an artificiality to it. Like, he's an angel or an alien or an android or something like that so he i think he could definitely nail uh nail the uh the uh kind of mysterious stranger with a dark past sort of vibe to it um and don't get me wrong i don't think there's anything wrong with uh playing against type like i love the first season of true detective but if you had like not had any knowledge of that show and you're forced to guess who Woody Harrelson and Matthew McConaughey would play. You would definitely think of like Woody Harrelson as the drug addicted philosophizing conspiracy theorist. And while you'd think yeah. of Matthew McConaughey as more of the uh, conventional Southern good old boy, but they switched them and they did both did a great job in the role, but playing against type is a bit of a risk. And I'm not sure if the risk is paying off so much here. I definitely didn't, you know, again, so before the podcast, I mentioned a little bit about how the last couple episodes in the, uh, especially season three are like super crucial for some characterization stuff Fine. for uh, Matt Bomer's character. And so like, I didn't really buy him until then okay um it there there definitely goes a lot more into it but what what you're saying i totally get in terms of like you know he he is like this ludicrously attractive dude who by all other measures is living like a really really good solid life which you know it's just yeah i i i I completely see where you're coming from and i i think it definitely would have been interesting because the the gentleman who plays the um the dead friend that keeps popping up he he definitely has a bit more arresting of a presence. I feel when okay. he wants to. Okay. Well, also, and I'll say, and look, maybe this is also totally undone by the last couple episodes, but I feel like he's jumping the shark just in a little bit in the sense of 
well, it's getting flanderized just in the sense of in the first season, Bill Pullman was, we got the impression that he was not a great detective, but he was a good detective who, because of his own unique circumstances and his own unique life experiences was just well attuned toward the specific case of Coratinetti and he kind of knew what was going on and that's why he was so doggedly persistent. But as the series wears on, the kind of characterization has changed to the point where it's like, now he's just like a super detective. Now he's just like Columbo or Sherlock Holmes or Monk or whoever. He's like, now we can expect to just slot him into any different um, situation and he'll be able to figure out. It, it actually gets funny at some points where it's like, there's just like long stretches where he just approaches these people who are under investigation. Maybe not officially, but he certainly has his suspicions. And they just willingly give him like a ton of information. I'm like... <laughs> Not like lawyer, lawyer, lawyer. <laughs> like, uh, hey, if, if you take the fifth, you're guilty. That's all I'm saying. So he, he still is good, like from an acting standpoint, as he's ever <laughs> been. But it's like uh, the actual character is written is, I think, becoming a little bit less interesting. Yeah, I mean, I like I said, I feel like narratively, season three is the weakest one. It tries to do a lot of like they really want to suck you into um, Maddie. I think is that his name. I'm talking about um, Bomer's character. Well, yeah, okay, okay. Yeah. I, I go by actors. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. So, or some whatever, whatever the actual character's name is. They they want you to buy into him super hard. And when you get some of the college flashback scenes and stuff, it, it helps a bit. And when they start bringing in like elements of like Ubermensch and stuff like that, and like you know a little bit of like Tolstoy kind of okay. stuff, like you know it definitely gets you more there. Right, but. Again, like just speaking strictly from a narrative perspective, it is the weakest of the three, and I hope that they uh, they kind of course correct a bit from it. I think uh, they already um, started filming the uh, the fourth. Yeah, season. they have. And um, the 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 second season, I I thought it was a little bit weaker than the first, but I will say it worked, and it took away from this idea that Bill Pullman was a super detective um, who could do anything. That he had another strong character to work off of the other um in the detective who had like a personal connection uh to the case because of her old girlfriend i forget the character's name off but that made it feel a little bit more organic whereas in the third season at least thus far his partner seems like largely mia like the new guy oh yeah no that never is anything (laughs) it's never anything i wish they hadn't written him in frankly yeah it's dumb um, but yeah, that's just my thoughts of this franchise as, as I've experienced it thus far. And maybe I'll have entirely different thoughts next week. Yeah, we'll see. I'm, I'm definitely interested to see where the, where the last couple episodes put you. Um, okay. uh, yeah, I mean, I, uh, the, <laughs> the thing that I will say is, uh, God, the more like you want a good archetype for an antagonist, <laughs> It's a white dude in a philosophy class in undergrad because <laughs> it's just like, and I've been there, done it, been the antagonist. It's fine. But like, man, it's just, I, I was, you watch this video of them like at some lecture or something and you're just like, God, I hate you so much. You suck. You're the worst. Mm-hmm. And that's, uh, yeah, right. that's it. Yeah. Well, my name's Tucker. My name's Jeff. Why not? It, does does Russian have that thing where the yif. Jeff be, yif? My name is no. Be, well, I mean, I don't, I don't know. 
honest to God. Um, Mr. Harbor never teach me such things. We drink vodka. <laughs> vodka. 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 Is that, no, that's... I think that's just like literally check off from Star Trek. Like, <laughs> Captain. Who's to there say? There's... There is a like I love that Russia's Russian is one of these accents that we're allowed to do like our butchering and no one's going to cancel us. Yeah, no, you're, you're not gonna you're not gonna get absolutely blasted to outer space for butchering a Russian accent. Uh, Thankfully, yes, not the, yet. Twenty years from now, whew, this this podcast d- depends depends on depends on where Russia is geopolitically. If can I just also say like okay, sorry. So back into Black Widow. Go ahead, go off, um, King. So like. You have like a lot of Russian elements happening at the same time, but they managed to not sub- substantively say anything about that. Russia even though, or- like, even though, like the opening of the thing, which by the way has a really tasteful rendition of uh, "Smells Like Teen Spirit." Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I kind of liked that treatment of it. A lot of the diehard Nirvana heads are gonna be like, "It sucked." Whatever, you suck. But the you know they're showing like you know Cold War stuff. They're showing like actual footage and pictures of like clinton and reagan and people and like boris yeltsin yeah if, yeah if if like i think they tru- literally did they have a picture of putin in there at one point i'm pretty sure maybe you can't like go too hard against putin or else it's not gonna get released in russia but um, yeah uh, but like, like a truly subversive take on this movie would have been to like try to um tie in the the a lot of like the plot elements, like somehow try to figure out how to, a way to make this an allegory for the collapse of the USSR and the sub and the subsequent like collapse of living standards in Russia, kind of the international thought shock therapy given to Russia and just why they were shifted back more toward authoritarianism. And if, even if you can't like, um, talk about Putin in a negative way, maybe use the Red Room and the guy in charge of it as kind of, Drakov as kind of like your subtle Yeah, you can analogy. have like a surrogate. And yeah. like in the way that, uh, and that goes the other end, like no one's going to cancel us for doing our terrible Russian accent. It's like in the Black, Wh- Black Panther tried to be, and I think largely did, it was a celebration of a lot of, African and African-American culture and people responded to it that way. Shang-Chi looks like it's going to try to like really reach out um, to Asians and Asian-Americans in a similar way. This movie, there wasn't really a similar attempt to do that with Russian culture. And it would have been interesting to see if they like more explicitly pushed into that. And that could have been interesting, I think. Yeah. Or just, just literally anything to do with the fact that like, you know, hmm, most of our audience is aware of the nature and the relationship between the U S and Russia, at least in passing. Right. So like there is substantive meat there to play with. And they just, and they just kind of said, Oh, we're not going to like do anything with that. It's funny. I remember someone, um, saying like going back to just the political element, all of it. I remember some uh, like reviewer and mind you, this was a positive review they said that, oh, this movie is going to make men squirm and put them into their place because it just has a, such a hardcore feminist message. And I came out of the movie and I was saying, like, what, really? It was just, it's one of these movies that's like, I almost wish it had been like leaned into like hardcore SJW propaganda because at least that would have like given us, like that would have like made you think and had some sort of reaction. It was just. Yeah. There was no like gender war element to this really. It was I just mean, kind of what it was. Yeah, it's like, you know, okay, all the soldiers were women. That was okay. It. Like, like th- they didn't give you any real reason in the context of the movie why they could not have just like 
brainwashed men or whatever you know it's like it, yeah i mean like they definitely they they attempted to like make the connection to like trafficking and women but statue uh, stature the, in a lot of places the other end, but you could have leaned into like a, like real jeffrey epstein stuff with like you know human trafficking and all girls that. and stuff uh, exactly. but again you're not trying like it's only going to be progressive in like the most superficial ways oh hey russian society looks like about as diverse as America today. And it's like that, that's like as progressive as it's going to be. And it's like fine, but there's a lot of stuff you could really chew on that they yeah. don't want to for whatever reason. See, now I'm just really hungry for like a much more just ornery Black Widow movie. Oh. And I know that that's not what they're, I, I know that's not what they're going to do with this, but like it, it definitely, you know, there's so many just, so many just opportunities on the floor. Um, because we didn't want to make a statement one way or the other about something that might piss somebody off. You know, we were just about ready to wrap up, but I think the past five minutes might have been our best conversation about Black Widow. So I'm surpri- I am glad that we did not. This is why you leave it rolling, folks. Um, <laughs> if you say something you don't mean, you can always cut it out, but you can't force yourself back into the room to say something that you did. So that's true. That's uh, that's just that's a lesson for you all. Always be recording yourself. That's the at all times, because yeah. uh, I mean, you know that the government is, so <laughs> you may as well get in on the fun. Yes, <laughs> let's let's write the NSA and ask them for our, some of our outtakes, so that we honest can. to God, <laughs> I I hope that my FBI agent like he he sees like when we're communicating about recording the podcast, and he like gets excited about like oh good some content there we go because it's not just Jeff sitting alone in his house being depressed, <laughs> you know. All uh, right, right, right. Okay. Um, my name's Tucker. My name is Yiff. My name's Yucker. <laughs> <laughs> That's nothing. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. Um, uh, Daily Rainbow. Have a have a Russian spy movie. <laughs> <laughs>